0: Hello, and welcome to Perspective. This is a show by founders of small indie creative agencies, giving our perspective on starting and running our own companies. The aim is to provide some useful advice and inspiration to others, as well as learn from each other and others as we get to come talk on the show. This is our 15th episode. Uh, my name is John Dark. I'm a director at Every Interaction. And today we have Dylan Baskin, who is the co-founder of Quiller, all the way from Australia. Hello, Dylan.
1: Hello, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. How are you doing?
1: Really well. Very well. How's the winter? You know what? Uh, just just to make you jealous of there in the UK, uh, we just had a we just probably had like a twenty five degree day. Um, oh, oh,
0: I hate you guys! <laughs> so it's, not, it's not
1: always like that, but we just basically had a very a very temperate day.
0: Nice. That sounds like our summer.
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that.
0: Which city are you in?
1: Uh, we're in Sydney, Australia.
0: Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I've never been, but uh, I've got friends who, who live there, and I'd love to visit.
1: It it is a wonderful city. um, Sydney is not the best at anything, I think, but it's the best at like being a lot of things at once, Mm -hmm. um, if that's a useful description.
0: (laughs) And um, you've got a bit of a background in design engineering yourself, haven't you?
1: That's right. I um, sort of spent about eight years or so as a sort of consultant, sort of designer um, and software engineer. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the sort of, I did that. We were really across the sort of full gamut. So I did like brand and identity design. I also did interaction design, uh, interface design. Then I did front-end builds and all the way to sort of back-end server only type work. So I kind of got to experience the sort of full circle of, of product development.
0: And were you doing that on like a, a freelancer basis or were you in agencies working directly for clients?
1: So yeah, I have probably spent about six months or so working for someone else in my life. The rest of the time I've always been working for myself. Nice. I think the reason is, uh, and this is just like pro tip for anyone trying to hire into an agency. When I tried my hand at agencies, they would only they would I get hired as a designer, and and I'd be like, okay, but you know, just caveat, I'm also an engineer and would like to be involved, and they were like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then they'd sit me over in the design team, and I'd never see an engineer. And then conversely, I would get hired as an engineer, and I'd be like, by the way, I'm a, I'm a passionate designer and want to be involved. Yeah, yeah. They'd sit me in the engineering team and I'd, I'd never see design.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that became very dissatisfying very quickly. And that was, I guess, a large part of the reason why I left agency world.
0: Yeah, agencies do tend to, uh, at least they used to, separate those disciplines out quite distinctly.
1: And it's understandable. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's a hard thing to hire for, uh, as in a sort of generalist, all the things person. Yeah, it's something I actually keep my eye out for when I'm t- you know hiring engineers or designers or whomever.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good philosophy. I think uh, getting employees who have skills across disciplines can really lead to not only a much more talented team, but a lot more collaboration uh, across the team. So I'm assuming while you're at these agencies, probably working for them and also for yourself, that you're obviously writing a lot of proposals and you must have been hitting some, kind of, um, some sort of frustrations with, with the process of, of creating them. And that led you on to, to what you did next.
1: Sure. Yeah, look, I, I guess the, the sort of pro- proposal game. So for me, you know, I was a one man shop, but sort of in the, in the latter half of my career, I was working for giant multinationals, working for government, was doing sort of big contracts. And that was cool. But to get the proposals out the door on a contract of that value was very challenging because I knew for a fact that my competition was a 50 man agency or, or a 20 man agency. So it had to be a really compelling proposition for why they should choose me as this sole operator versus these other guys. And so I, you put so much effort and time into trying to improve the caliber of client and get to that next run. Mm-hmm. One of the few things in business that you get this crappy trade-off of huge amount of energy, huge amount of investment, potentially no gold at the end of the rainbow, you because know, maybe someone doesn't they say, great proposal, but look, we're not going to go with you. And you've just wasted four days of your life. Mm -hmm. for me that that was a big frustration as my caliber of client got better and i kept wanting to you know get bigger and better and bigger and better more and more time got sunk into these proposals and trying to make them you know world class but then i only landed one out of eight one out of eight one out of ten of them so that for me was a major frustration was like how do i produce this stellar collateral really really fast without having to sacrifice that that sort of time cost
0: i imagine everyone listening now can sympathize with that
1: Yeah. And the other thing for me was, you know, one of my sort of like hacks to try and jump ponds, you know, go from a little pond to a slightly bigger one to a slightly bigger one in terms of clientele. Because I was both designer and engineer, I used to make these like tailored pitch websites. And I'd certainly probably actually credit that with actually getting me out of my first little pond, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, my little pond of, you know, friends and like, oh, I'm doing some web stuff. Instead of jumping out of that little group of, of clients, yeah, it was building these sort of custom pitch websites that encapsulated what i was offering it was designed and it was engineered by me for their express purpose of landing this job and that was pretty powerful in, in sort of getting bigger and better clients but then there was even huger time cost to executing
0: and these were things you were building and coding by hand
1: correct well basically there was just you know there just was no other option i could have made a 100 square spaces
0: mm-hmm. but
1: if you know if you know anything about anything you're like that's a square space site like you know i can do that also a rather expensive strategy
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that's that was sort of i guess the sort of frustration i felt in the sort of proposal space
0: great and then that was obviously the genesis for for quilla
1: quite right yeah quilla came entirely out of just a sort of natural need for me to basically try and get this these high you know um, great looking websites produced quickly and not sort of yet yeah, incur that time cost tension between not landing a proposal and you know, getting it across the line, and it started life <laughs> as like a totally internal, horrible tool that produced one website, which was my web, you know, sort of pitchy website, and it could only be controlled through a series of command line, you know, terminal arguments. So it was it was very much not a product.
0: Well, that's perfect. That's a that's a true MVP, right?
1: Oh, it was the most it was the most minimal of
0: minimal <laughs>
1: products. Um, but yeah, I mean, as the more of these I produced, and the more sophisticated that internal tool became. The more I started getting people, you know, the companies who, who I was pitching at, being like, "Hey, this is awesome! How did you do that? You turned it around so quickly. Could we do that?" And I'd I'd actually done a business when I was 19, and that that business went pretty far, but not far enough, and it was a hard experience. I, I discovered doing product was a really, really hard thing to do. So for a long time, I was quite hesitant. I was like, mm, "I know you guys are all giving me this positive feedback, but I'm not quite ready to to jump ship just yet." And it was probably like a year, probably, of people just being like. This is awesome, this is awesome. can we do this can could we have it? Can we have it before I sort of ticked over and decided, all right, let's productize this command line creation I've got
0: fantastic and so how how did you get it from there to to being something that you could ship and let other people use?
1: you know elbow grease and a lot of late nights um, <laughs> one of the nice things about being a designer and developer is that you can you, you mm-hmm. can just build things, you know. You're sort of not you're not too dependent on, on co founders or employees or anything like that. So there was just a lot of there's probably about three months where I minimized any incoming work and just concentrated on building a an actual M V P uh for Quilla.
0: I mean how how did you go about getting your first customers? Were they the people you'd already spoken to and had seen your, your proposals in the past?
1: Well, the the funny thing is that the the people who had said they'd love to use it were gigantic multinational, you know, design organizations that reported to some global head office. Oh, that's handy. So <laughs> at the time, it was like, look, I I don't think this is really gonna. It's not going to integrate with your SAP Oracle database. Okay. So no, we actually started much much smaller, and we said, you know, I was coming at this from a sort of small business perspective. The nice thing about the product was I was able to design it entirely for my needs and challenges. So I was like that's the right place to start because that way the mapping between what I know intimately in terms of challenge can, can map to what these, you know, other people are probably experiencing. It was, I mean, it was a bit of madness. I think anyone who's tried to decide anything can relate. There's a bit of, you you go on Facebook, you, you hit your, your, you know, your email list, your phone list, call up the friend, friend that runs an agency or whatever. And just, you know, for that first 10 people, you just need to get it in there. And I always say to you know, anyone who asks me about product building, whatever you've built and no matter how much careful and, and your precise forethought you've given it, you've built the wrong thing and there's a bunch of holes that you don't even know about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to me, I think that's what that sort of first customer group was about. It was just about discovering where those gaping holes were um, <laughs> in, in terms of functionality and feature and, and what did we not anticipate and which was a lot. There, was, there were so many things we discovered early on that uh, what was a requirement to make Quiller work.
0: Yeah, I guess that must have been one of the major challenges, right? That everybody has their own way of doing proposals, and they, they've got pretty, pretty locked in processes that they've been following for a long time that just haven't changed. And then giving them a tool that, that obviously doesn't have infinite flexibility, they've they've got to adapt that process to fit it into the the sort of box that you designed for them to an extent, uh, and and see the benefits of doing so at the same time but it's a bit of a shift in process for them to to make the jump
1: and that's the word i think process but the interesting thing is that um the 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 value to be derived you know if you just look at Aquila page and you compare it to the the vast majority of, of proposals that are produced today it's very evident what they get where the actual challenge was around process was around all the other tools that fit into proposals because people are like you know ah, oh, well we use fresh books for our accounting and we use Pipe drivers our CRM, and we've got some user data thing that we store. And most of the pushback we got in our first year, you know, everyone said these proposals look amazing. So much better than what I do now. It's so much faster, blah blah blah. But I needed to integrate with my CRM, and I needed to integrate with my accounting, and I want to pay now with Stripe or whatever. And that's where actually the majority of the challenge was for us in terms of pushback. It was the sort of it was the edges of the process, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, people were willing to replace the the apple pie of their process. It was just all the edges that they wanted. Um.
0: Keep the same ingredients.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. that, that uh, Integrations can always be a bit a bit tricky. So along this path, where was, where would you say that the, the sort of tipping point is that you, you were convinced that you had a business here and then when you, when you thought that, yeah, we have a, you know, a fully fledged product that we can put some weight behind and start marketing this seriously. Hmm. That's an interesting question.
1: You know, I think well. well the, so first of all, I would say like I was fundamentally convinced and am still that it was a good like there was serious value to be delivered. Like I, I knew that for a fact. I guess having come from experiencing the challenge myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, whether I, but caveat, there was still a, a significant gap between this is valuable and this is a product that that serves that value. To will it work as a business?
2: Um,
1: so one of the major challenges that we faced, and I think in many respects still face, is that it's, it's a paradigm shift what we're offering. Now, if I imagine for you, John, and for, for the listeners of this podcast, it's probably not a paradigm shift. You're probably like, yeah, websites, is proposals, that makes total sense to me. But you know, there's like 99% of other people that are like, oh, so I'm not going to use a PDF now. You're like, no, no, no PDF, you need a website instead like a website but a pdf and how does it come together and so there was there was a real challenge for us about helping people to understand that quilla did map to their business and it did map to their needs and, and their sort of concerns and in the initial phase when i was trying to work out will this be a business instead of you know do i know that this is a good idea yeah there was a sort of funny period of trying to, of the difficulty of trying to educate people that this was relevant to their business. And there was an interesting shift for us because we initially marketed Quiller as like documents for the future, I think was our first tagline. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great ambition for a company. And it, to be honest, it still is part of the core of our mission is this idea of like taking documents forward. But it is not a good marketing message. It, it's very unclear what that means. And more specifically, it's very unclear how that's relevant to a business.
0: Mm, yeah, it sounds more like Google Docs than uh creating proposals
1: well the thing is though if you sell bricks and you see on a billboard documents of the future that's just gonna you're not gonna be like that is in no way relevant mm-hmm. but if you're like brick selling proposals of the future <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is or you know better brick proposals and people are like oh okay you know this is relevant I, I should read this which in retrospect is like such a duh obvious thing but at the time perhaps because we were still grappling with both what is the big vision and how we should be communicating that vision specifically. Yeah. There was a real challenging series of months where it was hard to get people on board because we were having a hard time explaining why they should care.
0: And how many, how many different industry verticals do you, do you think this is applicable to? Cause obviously you're from the digital agency world. That's that's where we live and where I assume most of our audience are also from as well. Sure. But I, I can imagine the applications of something like this go pretty far and wide.
1: Oh, well, the, If you look at our vertical, like, you know, we've got it all in a spreadsheet, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, you know, it goes – every kind of business you can possibly imagine that, you know, that in some way has proposals out there or or sales material. And we've got, like, space and defense and, then like, manufacturers and architects and lawyers and accountants and agencies and all kinds of things.
0: I guess you could even take it all the way down to the the other end of the spectrum and go, like, builders and plumbers and anyone who needs to provide a cost to to – present to a client or a customer?
1: 100%. And I think, you know, the the use the, the essential fundamental use case for us is if you have something that is partially repetitive but also actually customized each time, i.e., for many people, proposals and sales material, then Quiller is the system that lets you, like, present it in an amazing modern integrated way but also get all the efficiency of, of systematizing your process The long-term application is very, very broad.
0: We've obviously used it as well, and um, it's it's a very nice product. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And to us, I'd say the biggest problem to us with writing proposals in the first place is, is time and like you said before you could spend four days you could spend i'd say we never spend less than a couple of days putting a proposal together in all seriousness Uh, and sometimes if it's a a really worthwhile opportunity sometimes you might put a lot lot more you know weeks worth of effort into those proposals depending on the, the type of client and the opportunity that's there so it is that massive time sink you know writing rewriting Doing the project planning price estimating communicating the value that you're offering i guess getting getting the content together in the first place is the task number one and then traditionally what we've done is is to take all that and put it into indesign and lay it all out in a nice neat and tidy way and then do the traditional export pdf and off that goes to the client sure
1: but so, funnily enough so i was an illustrator man mm-hmm. um no diss on indesign or anything but something i think not when I consciously decided I needed to do something, but one of the things that frustrated me to no end was I'd do all my pricing. You no, know, I'd lay out this night PDF and I'd do my pricing in Illustrator. I'd send it off, and the client would say, Oh, can we, you know, can we add 10 hours here? Can we change this? And I'd have to copy paste a bajillion cells into Illustrator again and like change everything. And it was mm-hmm. so manual and so time consuming. And it just felt like a medieval monk, you know, transcribing like an illuminated text like it was so it was so small and, and menial and, and and wasteful yeah in regards to the indesign thing was, was i think that's when i my brain started saying like the frustration has reached a point where i i'm gonna soon have to act um or, or just give it up
0: altogether <laughs> i think as we were using quiller for the first time um i was quite surprised how much it actually affected us in terms of in terms of writing the proposal because we're trying to do as much of it sort of in in the tool as possible sure to try and understand because it's the first time we're using it we're trying to understand how how it really sort of fits in and and how how we use it and yeah as a result yeah i think it quite it actually affected the way that we wrote the proposal because when you've got no constraints when you've just got uh InDesign in front of you and you can stick as many pages into it as you want and as much copy Make the font size super, super small. (laughs) Do whatever you need to 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 cram as much stuff as possible in there. You don't think about how much you're writing, and then suddenly you've created a 50 page document with, you know, 10,000 words or something insane. And it's an absolute burden for the client to then read and you end up having to stick executive summaries at the beginning in order to try and condense everything into a single page summary which means they probably will never even read the stuff that's in detail later on in the back they'll just read the executive summary skip to the pricing and and then sure yeah and then but working with Inquilla, I found that having this this single page application where everything has to fit in a single page and there are elements that can be compressed like your t's and c's and everything else but it made me really think about the content and the experience of reading the proposal, and that made me made me think. My brain switch into uh, web design mode, basically, into like, well, what's the user experience of this now? Because mm. this is mm. what I do every day, and I'm I'm using a tool that is in this medium that makes these triggers in my brain go off that think, ah, I can't just dump all this text in because who's going to read it? It's on. I think it being on the web it made me think I really need to be more direct with what I'm saying here and be more concise and hopefully therefore make the proposal of reading a better experience for their client.
1: And that's the thing. I think, you know, a big part of cool, I think is just a, is just a great benefit is that not only are there lots and lots of great reasons for you as an agency to use it, but maybe the best reason as you use an agency is that the receiver, they just have such a better time uh, with a web page. like as in, if they open up your beautifully designed PDF that you produced on InDesign and they open up on their mobile phone, you know, what are they even going to see? Like Unless they do that annoying zoom and, zoom and twist and zoom and twist game, mm-hmm. they're probably not really going to have a very satisfactory sales experience, certainly.
0: Absolutely not. You know, and If you're
1: linking to stuff and they, have to, and they keep getting lost on their phone, Like it's not, it's not great. But then if you take the sort of web-centric sort of notion yeah, the, the actual read, the actual consumption experience and experience is the, totally the right word for it. It's just on another level. I mean, it is. It's like, you know, PDF versus surfing the web. Uh, they're just not comparable as user experiences.
0: And it wasn't just a direct translation, like uh, an analogy I was thinking of is magazines that, that publishers used to make when, when magazines started to go digital. They just, they just took the print version and stuck mm-hmm. it on in, into a digital form in exactly the same structure. And publish that to iPads or whatever, and in doing so created a pretty poor experience and what's won out over that in the end those have pretty much died off because they're no different to the print version, except you don't you know, you have to carry around one thing um, It seems like the web has won out over the over the the printed material or even yeah. the magazine format in general because <clears throat> they write things slightly differently for the web to make them more web friendly, and the whole experience is is just better. Sure,
1: and it's it's funny because my instinct was not, hey, I'm going to go build an entire document of the future platform. You know, that wasn't like my original impetus. And I searched around and I was like, where is something that lets me work document like without the frustrating constraint of the like history of documents, i.e., it comes in a little A4 size uh, and it's not responsive. You know, all the other strange constraints of of document tools of today that are more about Design legacy um, that's one of the really interesting things I think about exploring quiller as a designer was if you look at the tool set of today it's so informed by the things that came from before it in terms of the typewriter gave way to you know the word processor, but the, the link between the typewriter and the word processor is so intimate in many ways, and in word processors you 've got that a four piece of paper you know sort of sitting there in the screen, and so many of the document tools are still mired in that paper physical world notion Mm -hmm. there's still uh, i know the word got into massive popularity but skeuomorphism if you'll excuse my french
2: (laughs) yeah you
0: you open up a new google doc and you see a sheet of paper right the assumption is you're still going to print this stuff and and i never do
1: exactly and it's like well why but i mean the funny thing is that i mean even beyond the the superficial you know the the border looks like an a4 the things that it does and and what what the value of it that it can provide is still so tied to the idea of like something that you could maybe print out and let it you know mail to someone, whereas, yeah, again, if you sort of take maybe a more sort of web-centric view, there's no reason why your document can't do everything that the web can do and, and all the powerful things that the web can do.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it's exactly like you say. There's that legacy. That's what one thing when we first started using Quiller, it's just all that legacy just dropped away, and it felt like we had this new interface to start playing with and start putting our content into, and it felt much more akin to using a CMS or something like Squarespace or or some interface that's that's user friendly and easy to use, and it just made perfect sense to us. Sure,
1: but they're, funnily enough, as I said, they're in the challenge because. People who spend their lives in, in tech and design, they get it so naturally and so quickly—the the idea of it, rather. Mm-hmm. But there is still, if you're, you know, if you run a traditional business and you're, you, you've come, you've grown up in a paper-based world, you know, for you, the doc, the word processor is a step away, but still familiar. But having to sort of get into the idea of like it's a website, but it works like a document, <laughs> yeah, has been—it's—it's—it can be challenging to get users over that that sort of little bump.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, well, the feedback we had from our clients was really great. I mean, they they from their end, the experience was superb. They absolutely loved the fact that they could view it on any device. In fact, that's where they all read it first. They were all saying, "Oh, we could just see it straight away on our phone because that's where they were." You know, they're out and about a lot, and that's where they they get their email first. And in fact, it was responsive and and all in one place. They said it was very cool. (laughs) (laughs)
1: well that's good to hear and that's you know and that's as i said that's a big part of it is like it depends what sort of how competitive your your you know proposal environment is in terms of how many other people are pitching but first impressions count and being compelling that first you know when your sales pitch first arrives and it being a really fluid uh it's responsive and it looks great and ideally and that's something we really push for with quiller is if they like what you've done if they're like oh john's is you know, every interaction is a great proposal you want them to be able to accept then and there and maybe even put a deposit down to actually sort of concretize your relationship you know while they've got the impetus of like ah, oh, this looks great and it's working on my ipad <laughs> you know that's so newfangled mm-hmm. yeah as opposed to like uh oh, this is a great looking pdf i just gotta wait to get back to my desk and maybe i'll forget about it and i forget to call and then the deal goes sort of stale.
0: And yeah, like you mentioned, you've extended the functionality there, haven't you? So you can you can provide a quote. You can get people to to pay for invoices directly inside the tool. They can sign the documents. And
1: yep. there's, there's well, you know, where our intention is that you can get a full deal flow um, through the doc. And again, this is sort of harks back to guess what I was saying earlier is that we want the document to be a more powerful thing. Because if you just trans, if you uh, make documents anonymous with website or web page, it can be so powerful. And specifically, it can be like an organ of your business. It can be a, you can actually do business through the document. There's no reason why the document needs to be like a pamphlet that you leave behind. That then they have to call you, John, and be like, "Okay, I'm, I'm ready to now do business with you." Um, every document you put out into the world should be a medium through which people can interact with your business and and make real business commitments mm-hmm. but like e-signing and paying and what have you
0: yeah i mean yeah that's how we, in the past we've always just done the pdfs and then we stick them through an online service to sign them once people have agreed that it's it's what they want to do and then they'll they'll sign it through a separate service but it's still quite clunky and it isn't integrated in any way and and there's still and then we've got to raise an invoice and then send that to them and that's in a different system. And
1: well, it's it's, re- it's it's retrofitting. I think that's the that's what we see when we see documents. Is like there are all these services to try and add features to the document. But as designers, I think the right insight is maybe the document is broken, or maybe maybe it's the document that needs to change, not all these sort of bolt-on things to try and like wrap a PDF in a service that gives you analytics and wrap a PowerPoint in a service that lets you e-sign. Because it's actually the it's it's the the PDF and the PowerPoint themselves that are lacking the feature.
0: Another thing I found that is because our existing process was so much of a time sink. Obviously, there are, you get jobs and quotes come in of varying scale, and there are ones one end of the scale that are enormous and and require a very lengthy response, and there are some things in the middle, and there are some things at the bottom end of the scale that are always a little bit smaller. Uh and for those projects we because of the amount of effort involved in getting a proposal together we generally in the past haven't done that for the smaller clients they've had sure. a worse experience and what we've done is we've just you know informally agreed over the over the phone or in writing then via email just to confirm what we what we agreed then just send them a like single page contract referring to that email to them that's not a great experience like just, just getting an email and, and trying to sign off on, you know, a few tens of thousands of pounds worth of business that it seems a little seems a little rough, I guess, from their perspective. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if sure, you could sure. give them a similar experience that you could give to everybody else because the the time that it takes to do so is is comparable to almost writing an email, then yep. that's also fantastic for for everyone who's using it.
1: Yeah. And that's very much, you know, like, you know, right now with Quilla, I mean you, I hope you sort of you've experienced these games You can just clone a template so you're already like 90% of the way there, change a few things, and and then you're sort of ready to send. We've already implemented something called the Blueprint API, which is basically like merge fields, basic merge tags in email, which is you know take a template and here is uh, either something from my CRM or or a spreadsheet that can automatically go and dump in the fields. But where we're actually looking to go in, in terms of, time-saving in terms of getting these things out as quickly as humanly possible is more about encoding business process so i think one of the frustrating things about running an agency and running a sort of service-based business is that your business processes are pretty clear like you know you guys you probably get a small you know medium-sized proposal and you go like okay well when we get those we normally do a b and c we'll use this type of content and we'll as a starting point we'll price it around here but all of that lives inside human heads mm. and there's no it's very hard to actually encode that into a, a system to actually you know to actually automate that and a big focus with Quilla, now that we've sort of got this really nice document producing website super tool <laughs> is to help people start encoding their process so that they don't have to keep repeating themselves as in things that they know mechanically uh, okay well this is a Small project, and so i'll you know try arrange it like this and use that template and start trying to leverage the fact that people have this in their brains, so that ideally, of course ideally it's a button click which gets you ninety eight percent of the way you customized a few things that really do require customization and and you know thought, and all the rest of that stuff that can be mechanically replaced is automated um, and we're hoping to bring out some cool. Features in that respect, uh, probably early next year.
0: Fantastic. So, having seen as many proposals as a man like yourself has seen, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> any pointers for our listeners on, on how to make a winning proposal and, and create that great experience for the client?
1: Well, I think um, you, the audience for this podcast is probably the ideal, as in uh, preaching to the choir in some respects, but it has to look fantastic. I think it should look fantastic. I mean, obviously, if you're a designer, graphic designer, or anything like that, it needs to look fantastic. But it should look fantastic no matter what. I think there's so much subliminal power, uh, so much subliminal messaging that happens with a well designed, nicely gridded document versus a total hodgepodge and like terrible line height and everything's amiss.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, there is a study, and I, I'm not going to be able to, I'll have to see if I can look it up for you, about people's. You know, people were flashed a website for, or, or an image, I think, for some number of microseconds. And they immediately form this sense of how professional, how well resourced, uh, how trustworthy the site or, or the information is. So I think good design is like a must. Now, of course, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast already agrees with that. <laughs> <laughs> Something I do think, though, is, is valuable, and I will often say this, and it certainly worked for me, was about data driven success stories. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you did a job and they were looking to improve, you know, some particular aspect of their company, it's great to be like, okay, what's the baseline data like right now? You know, and let's say it's, they sell towels. They're a towel-sailing <laughs> factory.
0: It's a good business.
1: Yeah, it's great. Everyone needs towels. Towels never go out of
0: fashion.
1: <laughs> you know, and they say, okay, for every, you know, every hundred people that pitch up at our towel factory website, you know, we, we convert 20 of them. And you're like, okay, great, that's that's your baseline. You do this project, uh, you implement it, and then you know you record the data out. And let's say you know it goes up to 40, 40 towels, and now you've got this like concrete improvement in their their towel sales. But once you can tie your work to a, a like really concrete number and a really concrete improvement, it helps you to justify the cost that you're giving to this this new client because you can say, hey, look, you're doing half a million dollars in typewriter sales. Actually, no typewriters. They're gone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cupboards. You sell cupboards. Here's what we provided with these other guys, and here's like a a backed up concrete data story of how we improved it. You know, imagine what that's worth to you if we could improve by 20%, or 10%, or what have you. I think that's that's really important. The other thing I think is valuable in a proposal is kind of a collaborative sort of story. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a great design agency called Han and Lux.
0: Mm, yep, joined Facebook.
1: That's right. They, they had a wonderful way of doing their their sort of projects we've worked on, which was a kind of what's and all rundown of of the project. It gave some reality to what it's like to work with them, and they always ended, of course, with their successes. But mm-hmm. it made it clear and evident what the reality of working with them would really be like. And
0: it was kind of story driven, wasn't it, to an extent.
1: Very much so. But it was very uh, business orientated, mm. but it sort of revealed like, you know, having this challenge, we thought about this experiment, we went to the extent of even doing, building it, uh, but then we realized that so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. But it really, it showed you how insightful they were, and it showed you how they drew out the insights from the challenges and, and their proposed solutions, and then finally got to this wonderful success metric at the end. I just certainly found that very compelling, and it's something I try to incorporate into it. You know, all my proposals when I was writing them was here's the case studies I've done before, here's the big data-driven like look I raised the thing by thirty percent, and then there's actually a discussion of what the project was like, how we uncovered the 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 critical you know point we needed to change, and yeah, I think I think that got a, pe- a lot of people across the line that otherwise might not have.
0: Yeah, that's really great advice. Good to hear as well because it's exactly what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> our, we're redoing our website right now, and we already do this sort of success metrics uh, thing. But um, yeah, we're, we're trying to take a more story, story-driven approach uh, to explain explain the process and what happened along the way, rather than rather than just simply showing the results.
1: Well, I think, and I think it can be not disingenuous. I think it can feel disingenuous when there's a sort of you know they gave us some money, X happened, uh, success metric. I think this gives it gives people more confidence, maybe, mm. and more perhaps empathy is the right word.
0: Yeah, it also helps explain and your process, and you know, like you said before, what, what working with you is going to be like, and that's what you've got to instill in people's minds. You've got to give them an impression of what what it's going to be like if they hire you, and if that's just shrouded in mystery and they don't find out until you're you're midway through a project, and then you know, maybe they find out they don't like that, and then you're, you're in trouble. Sure, sure. Fantastic. Thanks for that advice, and I think if our listeners uh choose to follow that advice, I think they're going to all end up with with better proposals and case studies as a result i hope so <laughs> yeah where can people find out more about quilla sure uh
1: they can head to com, and that's q-w-i-l-r.com and sign up and have a play around and feel free to hit us we got our little live chat messenger bot so if they've got any questions they want to talk to someone just send us a message and we try to be very very responsive
0: good stuff i recommend everybody go there and try it out it's uh it really does save you a lot of time and um yeah, um, it comes with our recommendation as well. Oh, cool. Thank you, John. Excellent. And where can people find you, Dylan, if they want to reach out?
1: Probably through my website, I guess. Uh, caveat hasn't been updated in a few years, as everyone says about their personal <laughs> websites. But um, dylanbaskind.com, dot com, D y l a n b a s k i n d dot com, and there should be like a little hollow link down there.
0: Good stuff. We'll put all that in the show notes. Cool. Uh, Thanks for coming on. It's been great having you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or find any of our past episodes, you can do so on our website at perspective.fm. We're on Twitter at underscore perspective.fm. You can find us on iTunes. And as always, we appreciate any ratings and reviews. You might leave us there. Also, please tweet about the show. Share it on Facebook. Tell your friends. It all helps or easy to find in your podcast app of choice. Just search for Perspective FM in Overcast, Pocket Casts, or whatever you prefer to use. The kind folks over at Pocket Casts have given us a very special short URL, so you can find that at pca.st perspective. All the links are on our website, along with the show notes for this episode. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.